So we were talking about last week, we began uh, Joshua chapter two. We went through verses one through seven. So we're picking up in verse eight and we're not going to cover that much. Just another little section of Joshua two. And we're continuing to speak or to talk about Rahab. So if you guys remember last week, I said, you know, like um, Rahab is uh, spoken about here and she's spoken about, um, it says, so the two men set out and they t- it tells us kind of um, who Rahab was, right? And scripture tells us it's, it's Rahab the prostitute, right? Um, so scripture what I find really nice about scripture is that it doesn't pull any punches. It actually tells us who these people were. And in light of that, it doesn't hide blemishes to make people sound like, you know, like to, you know, forgive me for using the word like saints, right? Because what Jesus says is that if you come to him, you are a saint. Did you know that? That you are a saint before the Lord. He regards you as his people, his chosen ones. Not like, you know, in, in whether you think of orthodoxy or um, whether you think of whatever else, and they put these people on pedestals, right? Like, oh, St. John. Yeah, St. John. Yeah, the same St. John that Jesus said to him, like, you need to calm yourself down, John, son of thunder, you know, and, and I identify with him, you know, like I identify with John because what did John say? Hey, you disrespect my God. Hey, Lord, call down lightning or fire from heaven and kill these people. Right. I identify with that. Right. Sometimes you just get indignant, you get upset at people and you're just like, hey, Lord, wouldn't it be better if you just killed them? That'd be cool. And the Lord's like, you need to calm down. <laughs> I'm like, oh, OK. <laughs> right. Sorry, I'm just, I, you know, I'm just being honest. You know, sometimes you're just sick and tired of people. <laughs> but the Lord isn't. So that's why we have to draw from him. But what I'm saying is, like, sainthood isn't on the person. It's on what God has done in that person. Later on, you see John, and he's the same guy who wrote us the book of John. Uh, one John, two John, three John. He wrote us all of those. He wrote us the book of Revelation. So Jesus later on reveals himself to him and tells him about the future that we, you know, we may see and we, we might be seeing some of it unfold, you know? So this is that same John, you know, or St. Peter, right? Everybody makes a big fuss about St. Peter. When you read about St. Peter, you think, hmm, you're not that much of a saint, brother, you know? I, I've never been told by Jesus, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you know, I got one up on Peter, <laughs> you know, praise the Lord. <laughs> but you think about it, you see that it's the work that the Lord has done. So then we look at this, and last week we looked at it, and it's, it's Rahab the prostitute. And in the Old Testament, if it was just the translation of the Old Testament, you could kind of skirt around it because it could mean in the Hebrew, Rahab the innkeeper, Right? But once we read the Greek, the Greek, there's no skirting around it. It's Rahab the hooker. It is Rahab the prostitute. It is Rahab the lady that sells her body. Right? But then we also have to look at the background implications of this. She lived 
in a Gentile nation, in a nation that actually wor worshiped their idols by offering prostitutes. So she was caught up in a system. And if you think about it, it may not have been fully her choice. She just came to this place where maybe she was told she needed to do that or had to do it. And that's how she survived. That's how her household survived, right? So then you, sometimes we look at somebody, like we meet somebody in the street, like you might meet a homeless person or somebody on drugs and you're like, you dirty person, you're not taking drugs. And then you hear their story and you're like, wow, you could have made other choices, we know that, but I understand, you know? And it's when we go through our own troubles that we begin to understand. Sometimes life isn't as straightforward as we'd like to believe it is, right? Sometimes somebody helped us make those choices. And I'm not saying that so that we can just excuse ourselves from the blame. I'm saying that so that we have understanding when we look on people, just like Jesus had understanding. And he looked at the lady at the well, and every disciple came to him and was like, yo, why are you talking to this lady? And the lady's like, yo, this guy knows my whole life. And probably the whole town sitting there, we all know your whole life. You're a prostitute. <laughs> You've had like six, seven men you live with. We all know this. But Jesus didn't judge her on that. In fact, he said, hey, you're forgiven. Don't do it anymore, right? Every time somebody came to him and truly believed, he was like, your past is wiped away. Don't worry about it. You don't need to be that anymore. You're my child now. Live like a child of the king. So then Rahab um, does something. She, she believes in God and she doesn't just leave it there. She just doesn't say, hey, I believe in God. That's great. I know a lot of people that just believe in God, right? I believe in God, but it's going to be useless because I'm not going to live on it. Rahab made decisions upon that information she had, and that's what we'll look at today. So um, verse 8. So, you know, I'll read from verse 6. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I, don't, I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossing of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Verse 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk with them. And listen to what she says. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. I'm just going to stop there really quick. So she tells them something that God had promised them in the past. Do you remember when they walked into the, uh, like 40 years before, they took out Og, they took out the king of, of Sihon or whatever, however you pronounce it. They took these people out and the Lord said something to them through Moses. 
I will begin to strike terror in the hearts of the nations that you are going in on. Today, I begin. So Rahab is about to tell them what she's heard, and all the things she has heard are true. And they're not just true. We have to think to ourselves, how old is Rahab? Because some of the stories that she's recounting to them happened 40 years before. So Rahab may have been a little girl and her mummy and daddy are telling her stories about something that they've heard happening out there, right? You know, like when you sit down and you tell the story, my children love stories. Like they're like, daddy, tell me a story. But the problem is, is they're addicted to stories. I'm trying to wean them off of it because they're like on me all the time. And I try to send them to Tom. (laughs) Daddy, tell me another story of when you were little. I ran out of stories. You know my whole life. What am I doing? You know, like, it's like, I'll finish a story, and they're like, tell us another one. Are you kidding me, man? I just, I just used, like, 30 minutes of my old dad energy to, to tell you that story, and now I'm spent. <laughs> I am spent, kid. And they're like, we want another one. And then they start chanting, we want another story. All right, here we go. And then Claire comes in, you know, nine hours after they were supposed to be put in bed. What are you guys doing in here? I'm telling them another story. (laughs) Dave, just go. Oh, yeah, just go. When all three of them are revolting. (laughs) You know, what am I supposed to do in here? (laughs) So anyway, they love stories. I love stories. You know, one thing I remember, I was at a pastor's and leader's retreat in York earlier this week, and um, one of the pastors, so... I tell one of the pastors a story, and then he tells me one, man. I just love stories. He told me this story. It was great. I'll tell you guys afterwards, but it was a really good story. I told Craig yesterday. So, um, but anyway, I love stories. So you see this, this, this lady who might be middle-aged, whatever. Maybe she's in her 30s. Maybe she, you know, for all you 30-year-olds out there, I don't mean you're middle-aged. I, not, I didn't mean that at all. Old people. <laughs> so, you know, maybe maybe she's a grown, you know? Maybe she's in her 40s. Maybe she's in her 50s. But she's heard some stories. So listen to this. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you. He made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og. The two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. Like, we haven't heard stories about you guys just being mediocre. We've heard stories about you guys that makes us have to change our pants. Right? We are scared. Everyone, she said, everyone in the land is living in terror. For the last 40 years, we've been sitting here thinking, when are they coming? And when I saw you two, I knew it was time. When I saw you two, I believe, I already believed. You, listen to what she says at the beginning. I know the Lord is giving you this land. She knows a lot for, for a Gentile. 
And remember what I said last week. I mean, she is mentioned in Hebrews 11 where, where like the greats are mentioned, right? She's mentioned right there with Noah. She's mentioned in James, in the book of James, when James is talking about, hey, don't just say you have faith. Show you have faith by what you do and how you live. Like Rahab, the prostitute, right? They still use her title so that we can't get mixed up. Oh, it must have been another Rahab. Nope, it's Rahab the prostitute. Oh, okay. But remember, the great thing is this, that Rahab just believed the Lord and she lived for him. He's the one that set up the legacy. He's the one that set up her life for her. Like a lot of times we're like, oh, what's my life going to pan out to be? The Lord's like, don't worry about that. Worry about living for me. I'll make your life the one that shines, right? I'll make your life into something that's like, whoa, how did you do that? Because we read in Matthew 1 who Rahab is, right? Rahab was the mother of Boaz. How did she get into the Messiah's bloodline? <laughs> Only the Lord does that. Rahab, remember, is King David's great-great-grandmother. That'd be pretty cool, right? She's up in heaven like, yeah, I'm Rahab the prostitute. But King David is my great-great-grandson. That brother served everybody a whooping, <laughs> right? Boaz is my son. I'm pretty sure she's not bragging, but bragging rights, right? You know how moms do. My son recited the ABCs all by himself, right? And you're like, yo, ma, cut it out. I'm like 42 now. <laughs> I could do it backwards. <laughs> I actually can't. You know, like when people are like, oh, yeah, sometimes the police will see if you're drunk, and they'll ask you to do the ABCs backwards. I'm like, put me in prison now. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> they're going to pull me over. I ain't have a lick of a drink in my whole life. And they're like, do the ABCs backwards. All right, I'm going to prison. <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> I'm like, Z, and I don't even know what comes after, you know, before that. <laughs> I just know how the story ends. Anyway, so she says, no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God, now listen to her confession of faith, right? The Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Man, she knows a lot for being a prostitute. Right? She's an educated woman. Verse 12, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. So she's now saying, like, I know who God is and I totally believe it. And he's the only one that could save me. So please be good to me, right? When we come to Jesus, we confess and we're like, you remember Romans 10 verse 9, right? I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. You are supreme over all. You're number one. And that God raised him from the dead. And I believe the work that you've done, and that's where I'm putting all my chips on that. 
that you are God over all, that you were raised from the dead, and I'm putting it all in with you. This is what she is saying. She's like, God is over all, and my life is in your hands. You're the only ones that could save me because you are God's people. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. Like, be good to me, right? That's, that's pretty much what I, I said to the Lord when I came to him. Lord, I believe everything about you. You are supreme over all. And you said you'd be good to me? Be good to me. Save me. Make me into something new. Show me the way out of here. Help me. Right? Now, something that we have to look at is she confesses her belief. But we have to remember that, that our faith is only as good as the thing that we put our faith in. Right? I, I mean, you, people put their faith in whatever. In different gods, you know, some people put their faith in that pillar right there. You know, like, hey, put your faith in something, they tell you. But your faith is only as good as the thing or the object that you're putting your faith into. I'll give you an example. So, like, I can have my faith in this chair. I can believe that this chair will hold me up um, when I sit down on it, right? But when that chair is broken, it's done. Like, I can't have faith in it anymore, or I can have faith in it, but it's just going to put my bum on the ground, right? Um, but that's all that that chair is good for. I can't put ultimate faith in the chair. Like, that that chair will take me through to heaven, right? If I believe that, everybody would be laughing, right? Or at least feeling sorry for me. I can put my faith in large weapons, there's people in this world that do that, right? But when that large weapon runs out of ammunition, what good is it? Or you could be like, oh, I could put my faith in a weapon that doesn't run out of ammunition, right? But imagine you standing there holding a sword, and they're dropping a nuke on you, right? There's always something bigger that will trump what you put your faith in unless you put your faith in something that is infinite and bigger than everything else. And there is only one being that is bigger than all of creation. And that's God Almighty. And he has allowed us to put our faith in him through Jesus Christ. And then he's like, you put your faith in me through the work that I've done, and I'm going to put my stamp of ownership on you. He's called the Holy Spirit. And you're mine. And I know you're mine. And I could see your mind. You know, and when you think about that, God is infinite. God is the only one in creation. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are the only ones in creation that live within creation and outside of creation. But he's called the uncreated one. Now, that's a little hard for us to understand when you start to look at it. Because everything around us was created at one time or another, even yourself. You guys have a birthday, right? Like Natasha's birthday was yesterday, right? It was yesterday. There you go. That pillar is probably older than me, but at one time it was created. The carpet, the floor underneath us, 
It was all created. God's the only one that sits there and he doesn't have a birthday because he always was. Wrap your mind around that. Somebody that always was, always is, and always will be. So that's who we put our faith in, right? Because he can back it. But that faith has to be, um, you know, like that faith just doesn't like happen, right? Rahab had something that happened. She found or someone told her information and she verified to see if that information was true. The same way that when I found faith, information was given to me. So what I'm trying to say is it's not just the object. Something happens to me in that information. We're told in the New Testament that faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God, right? So when we're talking about saving faith, information comes to us, it engages my mind, my intellect. And then next, something happens to my emotion, right? Because my intellect learns something and then my emotion, something starts happening inside of me. I can become excited or there's also a fear and dread of knowing that what is t what's being said to me is true, right? Like I remember... Uh, when I was told about the Lord, or even at times when I've learned more about the Lord, and we find this out in, with Noah, the Lord told Noah of things that would happen with the flood. And then it says, Noah feared the Lord. And then it didn't stop there. That's only part of faith. The last piece of faith is the will, action. So you learn something, you feel something, you do something about what you have learned and felt, okay? So like emotion is useful. Sometimes we think like, oh no, emotion, it just gets in the way. Let me just become, a, you know, somebody without a heart, you know? It would be so much easier to just walk around emotionless and, and just do what I want, right? But the Lord actually gave us emotions. Like when I hear about what the Lord has done for me, it starts stirring love in me right? And then I act upon that faith, and that's, that's like the full, the full thing of faith. I act upon it. James tells us this. James tells us that, like, faith without deeds is dead, right? It's just something I think. I actually have to move into that faith. If somebody tells me that, you know, there's salvation in Jesus Christ. And I say, yeah, cool. I totally agree with you. And then I'm like, you have to put your faith in him. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I feel that. I understand that, but I don't want to do that. Is that faith? No, you're just understanding something. Faith is like everything combined, the whole person, and then me living that out. Me, you know, being in charge of my will and moving forward and saying, I'm going to live in faith like Rahab. She's like, listen, I understand something that God is supreme overall. I fear that, you know, like I know he's like the God, the God of gods. I know he's number one. So now I'm going to act upon that. And we see that Rahab acted upon it. She was like, I don't care. You know, like the king could take my life. I know who wins. The king can come here and say, give up those two, those two Jewish spies. Yeah, I'll put my life on the line, right? That's what Rahab said. I'll put my life on the line. I'm going to hide these guys because I know that they belong to God. 
and he's going to take this land. There's nothing that this king can do about it. So she puts her faith on it, and then she says, hey, can you, um, you save me? Can you make sure that you don't take me out? So faith involves the whole person. It involves the mind, the heart, and the strength in action. The intellect, the emotion, and the acting upon it. So that's what we see in Rahab. We understand what, you know, quite simply what's, what faith is. Faith isn't just believing something. And in fact, faith isn't just believing something just because you want to believe it. It doesn't matter how much I believe in something if it's not true. You know, like, I don't want to ruin it for you guys in here, but I don't believe in Father Christmas or Santa Claus. I know like some of you might, and that's cool. (laughs) You know, but you know, like no matter how much you believe in Father Christmas, there's not going to be a fat man coming down your chimney. Like, honestly, I mean, if there is, he's a thief. He, he, he <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and he'll probably be a very skinny thief, because have you ever seen how big chimneys are? Ain't no fat man coming down that. <laughs> I'm not coming down that. <laughs> if somebody's like, the only way in is through the chimney. Yeah, we're going to have to hold, blow a hole in the wall, man. <laughs> Ain't working. <laughs> But honestly, no matter how much you believe in that, he's not coming. So all it comes down to is superstition. If you believe something that is not true, that is called superstition. And I love what my little brother says. You know, like people are like, um, I, I said this to somebody the other day. It's like people be like, oh, are you superstitious? He's like, no, I'm not even a little stitious. <laughs> but... You know, like when you believe, I knew this man who like regarded himself as a scientist, right? And he was. He was like a chemist. He worked on all different types of things. We use things today that he came up with or his team came up with, right? But this guy was always like knock on wood, throw a little salt over my shoulder. And, And then when I tell him the gospel, he's like, I don't believe in that. I'm not superstitious. Knock on wood. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, you live in a fairy tale, bro. Like, you say that you're not superstitious, though you're knocking on all the wood you see. Like, you obviously believe in something. And I love what Pastor Juan says when somebody's like, hey, good luck. And, Juan, you know, Juan will say to that person, yeah, thank God for luck, huh? <laughs> he may not say it to you. He says it to his, his younger brothers, though. <laughs> hey, good luck. Yeah, thank God for luck, huh? Yeah. So... You know, if you believe in something that's not true, it doesn't make it true. You actually have to believe in the truth. You have to believe in the truth for it to be faith. And when you find that that thing is true and you really believe it, it begins to stir something inside of you. That's the emotional side. It begins to stir things inside of you. And I would say if you don't, if it isn't stirring anything on the inside of you, you haven't read enough. You haven't read enough to see like Rahab to say, I've heard all the stories about you. I remember when I was younger and my mom told me to read the Bible and I was like, eh, all right, I read the Bible, you know? She was like, I want you to read the Bible every day. And I'm like, okay. You know, like if you know me, I'm not a reader, man. Like, honestly, to this day, the book I read the most is the Bible. People are like, hey, have you read this? I'm like, nope, sorry. 
you know, I'm sorry. I didn't, don't, I'm not going to be your reading buddy. Sorry. I'll be your buddy that plays basketball or something like that, but not your reading buddy. Nope. I'll be your Bible reading buddy. That's it. <laughs> so, but I remember my mom saying to me, you got to read the Bible. So I started in the Old Testament, first and second Kings, right? And I remember reading those stories about Elijah and Elisha, and I was stirred inside. Something was happening on the inside, and I was beginning to see how great my God was in real life. Because I was seeing God on the pages of Scripture and how great he was on man's behalf. And then I was starting to experience him in my life. And something was happening on the inside that was telling me, you need to live a certain way before this God. You need to live a certain way before this God. And it's called faith. That's true faith. So Rahab shows us this. So when I intake true information, it changes me. And now I follow in action. So right action is the product of right and true faith in something. That's true information, and it's understood, and the emotions help to verify it, right? Because sometimes you're like, somebody tells you something and you're just like, what? You know, like, think about it. When people hear information and they become very strongly emotionally attached to that information, whether right or wrong, they act upon it, right? Think about it. Like, you could hear something like on YouTube and you're just like, what? And you get upset and you start acting upon it. It's the same way with our faith. We read the information that was given to us. And something that's really cool, and I'll end with this, something that's really cool about the scripture, about God's word, about the Holy Bible is this, that within our country here, the United Kingdom, you can find plenty of facts and evidence that verify the Bible. Like, honestly, it verifies the Bible. Some of those things are actually like uh, P things that, archaeological digs have found. And other of those things are copies of what we read today, right? And you may think to yourself, why would copies of what we read today help verify what we read? Well, the reason is this. It boils down really simply. Let's say my mother wrote down a recipe right? But she is the only living person that knows this recipe. So she writes down a recipe for 10 of us. And over time, let's say like in like 90 years, we start looking at mama's recipe, old recipe. I'm on my deathbed. I'm like, you got my mama's recipe. <laughs> and everybody brings their copies, but you know, like, like four of us have lost them. So that leaves only six copies left. So then we bring copies together. We bring those copies. And one of the copies is torn in half. So we got half the information. So that leaves five full copies and one half copy. But that half copy like aligns with all the others, except one of the copies has like an ingredient that looks like it's scribbled in and it says, it says petrol. But it's not on any of the other copies. <laughs> So we can look at that and verify that, okay, this, this half one is just like the other five, except for this 
this fifth one that we found in somebody's basement and it just has like petrol written on the side of it. But we can actually see that petrol isn't one of the ingredients that my mother would put inside her chocolate chip cookies, okay? Like, you know, we can use our brains and understand that. Yeah, petrol's probably not one of the ingredients. Somebody added, you know, they were working and they just wrote petrol on the side or whatever. So then that's another way that you can verify if something is close to the original, the original copy. So we have thousands of manuscripts that when you put them together, you're like, oh yeah, this is the same exact thing, word for word. Oh, somebody wrote petrol on the side. And then that's when somebody comes and look, look, it has petrol here. You're like, yeah, so somebody wrote on the manuscript on the side. Okay, that's nice. Has nothing to do with what we're looking at here. So we can verify it through many different duplicate copies that are spanned across the earth. And we say, okay, cool. So that's just one way that we can verify the Bible. The Bible has thousands of extra copies of it all around, and they all match each other pretty well. And even in other translations in other languages, and that just makes the point even stronger, saying whoever copies this thing down makes sure they do a good job. So we know we have the truth that we're holding and we're reading the same truth that our great, 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 great grandfathers held and probably tried to burn, <laughs> you know? Because every generation is filled with stupids. So, um, yeah, faith like Rahab, that we would read God's word, we would let it engage with our minds because the Lord, a lot of people are like, no, no, you live a blind faith. No, we don't. I believe, I, I believe in a faith that I read and God sits there and says, let's talk. Ask questions of me. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I said this recently. The Lord isn't saying, um, don't taste, but just like make believe that the Lord is good. He's like, no, taste and see that it is good. Come, drink of the well. Quench your thirst. I will give you peace. I will give you rest. He gives us plenty of promises that we can bank on, that we could say, it's true, Lord. I see it. It's true. You know, so as we read God's word and let it engage with our minds, with our intellect, as it stirs us inside, let's be true to what James told us, like Rahab, to live it out to say, I will act upon what I have seen and what I know. Let's pray. Lord, I just praise you and I thank you, Father God, that you don't ask us to just blindly believe you, Lord. Don't ask questions. Just keep following in a crowd. That's not what you say, Lord. You say, hey, come to me. Ask questions. I'll be honest with you. Hey, come, see, read, use your mind. And Lord, as, as you stir us, Lord, that we would follow after you. Lord, we love you. That we would follow after um, the example of Rahab. That we would say, hey, your God, the true and living God, is God over all.
I believe in you. I believe in the work that you did on the cross. I believe in the way that you made. So like it says in Romans 10 verse 9, that we would confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised them from the dead and we will be saved and that we would live in it. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.